Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. So for the last two weeks, this is the third week, so the last two weeks we've been in this storyteller series where um, we've just been telling the story of the gospel of Jesus, the end of his life two weeks ago. Last week, of course, the resurrection stories of the women. And each week, the theme that has kind of come out that, um, that I didn't expect, I didn't know there would be a theme come out, was this idea of unexpectedness of the things that were happening. The unexpectedness of how Jesus' life ended for his disciples, like they didn't expect it. They thought he was the Messiah. And then he ends up getting arrested and crucified. Like, what king, what Messiah, what savior, what person who's supposed to rescue us from captivity ends up getting killed like a criminal, right? I mean, that's unexpected. Then the women go to the tomb, and, and they're just going out of, you know, ritual, Jewish ritual. They're just going so that they can take care of the body. And then they get there, and the body's not there, right? There's an angel, and, and the angel is telling them Jesus is alive. Well, we get another story. So the, the first one, we took that out of Matthew. We're just kind of following the Gospels, each of the four Gospels with these stories. So the first one was out of Matthew. The second one was out of Mark. Today we're looking at a story out of Luke. The story out of Luke is after the resurrection, and it's about these two guys, these two followers of Jesus. So they weren't in the like, close-knit group of disciples, but they were followers of Jesus nonetheless. So kind of in that larger category of followers. Because sometimes we get a, too narrow of a view and we think, oh, there are only these 12 male disciples. And that's not true. There were women who followed him. There were m- many more people that follow him. And we, knew, we know that because at one point in one of the gospel stories, he sends out 72 of his followers, two by two, to go do miracles and talk about the gospel. So we know he had a lot more followers than just the 12. The 12 were just representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. So there was a representative nature there that God was trying to show, I've come to rescue my people. So the Messiah is gathering these 12 disciples. Anyways, so these two followers of Jesus are walking along the road. So you got to remember, this is like the day after all the resurrection stuff. They were walking along the road, just a normal walking down the road, which is what they did back then, right? They didn't have cars, so the equivalent today would be they were driving down the road, right? But they were going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which was a well-traveled road. It was not, you know, it was nothing not normal about it. It'd been like, it'd be like going to Atlanta and getting on 75 for us, right? So they're driving, they're not driving along. They're walking along. We'd be driving along, but they were walking along because this story couldn't have happened. Well, it could have happened if there was a car, but it had just been a little more crazy. So they're walking along, busy road. So you're passing people. There's people passing you, all that kind of stuff. And a man starts walking with them. It says the man noticed that, that they were talking about something very intently. So he, he asked them, what are y'all talking about so intently? And they look at him and they're just like, you don't know what's been going on? Like, you don't know what's been happening? Now think about that. It's, it's these two followers who are leaving the Passover festival where they had been for the whole weekend, right? They were there like good Jews. They'd gone to Jerusalem to gather with all the Jews for a Passover. Now they're going home probably or back to work or whatever. 
and they're like, how do you not know what's been going on? Like, this has, like, been the craziest weekend uh, that we've had in a long time. Like, don't you know that there was this guy who everyone thought, not everyone thought, but a large group of us thought was the Messiah, but now he's dead and was buried. But then these women came and said he was alive. Like, have you heard? How have you not heard this? And so they're like incredulous about it. And the man responds to them and is just like, how foolish are you? How foolish are you that you think that this is unexpected? And this man goes on to explain to them the entire Old Testament story and how the entire Old Testament tells this story of a Messiah who would come and die for his people. So he's explaining this to these two followers of Jesus and they're walking along and it's a pretty long walk and so he, he has a good amount of time to explain and the story tells us everything from the writings of Moses all the way up through the prophets, how they all pointed to a Messiah who, had not, who was not going to come and do earthly rescuing, but was going to come and do a spiritual rescuing of his people and it was going to die for him. So he explains all of this as they're walking along. They reach the point of where they've they've come like they get to the city and so they're going to head to their house and the man's like okay I got to go and the two followers are like no 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 will you stay and eat with us um, they had to have been blown away by how this man explained the Old Testament and the Messiah right they had to just be in awe of oh my goodness this guy just opened our eyes to the entire Old Testament and so they convince him come eat with us and so they sit down to eat and it says they're sitting around a table. And so the man who had been walking with them took bread, broke the bread, and blessed it. And it says in that moment, the two followers saw him as Jesus for who he was. That it had been Jesus the whole time walking with them down the road. But God had hidden it from them the entire walk. And in that moment of breaking and blessing the bread like he had done in the upper room before his death, he was, he was shown for who he was. They, God revealed that this was actually Jesus, alive, resurrected. That the stories were not just stories, right? That the testimony of the women was not, um, was, was not unwarranted, was not, um, that, that it was true. And that's a, that's a big deal. We, we, we don't understand that as much in our culture today because women are trusted to give their opinion. But you have to remember, in this day, women were not trusted to give opinions. They were not allowed to be witnesses in court. You, a woman's testimony did not count th at the same level as a man's testimony. And so that the women had come back to the men and said, this is what happened, there was still a little bit of doubt in the men's minds of saying, are we sure that they saw what they said they saw? Like all that kind of stuff. And so it's almost as if Jesus isn't just trying to explain to them, hey, what I did was what I was always going to do. What I did was what I was always going to do. It's what the Old Testament said I was coming to do. He was also emphasizing, and you can believe what the women are saying. Like he's, he's doing this amazing thing, Jesus, where he's, he's giving credibility and value to these women and their testimony in this conversation 
that he was having with these men. So the moment that he's recognized as Jesus, as they're eating around the table, the moment he's recognized as Jesus, he disappears. The story says he disappears, which is just incredible. Think about the idea that Jesus Christ, physical body, he was a man, dies, his physical body's dead, he gets resurrected to the point where he still looks like a man, he walks down the road and talks with them, and he eats with them at a table. So his resurrected body has some sort of physical characteristics to it. He's not just a ghost, right? He's not just some spirit body. No, he's got some sort of physicality to him. He's got some sort of features to he's, he's got This resurrected body is real, and yet he disappears. The moment they, they see him, he's gone. He's no longer there at the table sitting with them eating. It's an incredibly miraculous story. And the way the men react is the best part, is that they, after Jesus is gone, then they like, have this little short conversation at the end of the story with each other, and they say, didn't our hearts burn while we were walking down that road? Like, did you feel what I felt? Like, how did we not know that that was Jesus? Because something in us was telling us that this man wasn't just a man, right? We should have known that this was Jesus the whole time. It shouldn't have taken this unexpected reveal of when he broke the bread and blessed it for us to have recognized him as Jesus, as the Messiah. So these followers have this incredible unexpected moment where they go from simply walking down the road with this man to now realizing that they had just been in the presence of their resurrected Lord that they had just been in the presence of Jesus who had risen again, that they had just dined with Jesus himself after he was supposedly dead. So they run, the story says they run to go tell the 11 apostles, the 11 disciples, the 11 in the close-knit circle that were with Jesus. They run to go tell him because they had to get to him and say, listen, what the women are saying are true. They're, what they're telling us is true. He's alive. We just walked and talked and ate with him. Jesus is alive. So it's this incredible story in the gospel where Jesus appears to these followers in just a normal everyday way. He doesn't like bl just blow up on the scene in some miraculous fashion, right? Could, I mean, Jesus could have. He could have showed up on the road to those guys in some sort of like, you know, all the angels around him with the entire angelic band singing, you know, rock star Jesus, right? And he could have just shown up and said, here I am, I'm alive. I told you I was going to rise again. You didn't believe me, but I did, right? I mean, it, it could have been this incredibly big, showy moment. And yet, how does Jesus decide to appear to these followers? In just normal, everyday way. He shows up while they're walking down the road on their way home from their Jewish festival. He has a, a conversation with them about the things they were already talking about. And then he sits down to eat a meal with them. There's this unexpected nature to the way God shows up in our life where a lot of the times we're maybe wanting God or expecting God to show up in some big spectacular way, right? And we put 
maybe too much onus on those kind of experiences with God. And those, are, those happen, and they're important. They're crucial in our spiritual journey. When something big happens, like Sarah last week getting baptized, right? That's a, that's a foundational experience. And so it's a big moment in someone's life when they come to faith, when they get baptized, when they're confirmed, when, when something large in their life happens, that's important. So we celebrate those moments. It's just like the idea of a, of a wedding day, right? A wedding day is supposed to be big. Sure, we should make it big. But we all know at the end of the day, while the wedding day is big, the, the, the only reason we're happening, it's having, the only reason we're having it, the only reason it's happening is because of a marriage that's supposed to follow, right? It's not about the wedding day, actually. It's about the marriage that's supposed to follow. And the beauty of a marriage doesn't happen in a wedding day. It just doesn't. Like the beauty of a marriage happens over a lifetime of everyday things, right? That's when the beauty of a relationship of a marriage of two becoming one, that happens over a lifetime. That happens over all these small events that will happen over the next however many years in a couple's life. The wedding day isn't that, isn't that for them, but it's still a crucial moment in the story of someone's marriage. The same is true in our faith. In our faith, we need the big events. We long for the big events. But the big events are not how God wants to show up in our life, ultimately. Those are ways He will because He knows that they're crucial to us. But the, the unexpected ways that Jesus wants to show up in our life in order to change us, transform us, in order to be with us, commune with us, have a relationship with us, happen during our everyday life. They happen as we go along throughout our week. They happen in unexpected ways as we interact with family and friends. And then those become the stories, right? These two followers, the power of the story about these two followers, in my opinion, isn't actually the story about the two followers. It's that they go and then start telling the story to the disciples. Like that's the power here. We already have a chain of storytelling happening now. We have the women leave the tomb, tell all of these people that Jesus is alive. They hear it. They're still not sure about it. Now, now in this story we learn a couple more of the followers now inter interact with the risen Savior. So now they're like compounding the story of the women. So now the women have said that Jesus is alive. These two followers are now following up and saying, they're right. We saw him. He's alive. And so now it's this like momentum of compounding stories of what God is at work doing. In our case, it's still true that what God wants to do in our lives is produce stories, multiple stories. Each of us will individually not just have one story of how we came to faith. We don't, all of us don't just have like this one story. We have a bunch of stories. We have a bunch of stories, and those stories continue to happen. And the more we learn how to tell those stories of what God is doing in our life and how Jesus is showing up in unexpected ways, then that produces this amazing effect on, on the world around us, on our friends, on our family, on the community around us, where we become like the megaphone of the gospel, 
Like we as individuals and then as a community, as we're telling our stories, we're really telling the story of Jesus as we do that. We're really telling the gospel story, the big story of how God wants to get to us and have a relationship with us. And so as we begin to tell these stories, then we're telling the story. And God is now telling the story about how much he loves people and wants to have a relationship with them and wants them to be in community with his people. And that becomes this idea of storytellers. That becomes this idea that God is at work writing a story and he's writing that story through me, but even more importantly, he's writing that story through us collectively, all of our stories together. And then that story gets to be read by the world. They get to hear it and watch it and see it. And that ends up what's, that's, that's what's attractive about the people of God. Like that's what ends up being what the world looks on at and says, oh, that's what I'm missing. Like, oh my goodness, that's what I've been looking for. That, that's what I've been trying to fill my life with, all these other things, and yet that's now what I realize I've been wanting, not these other things. And so we have to be, um, we have to be intentional about making sure we continue to tell the stories what God is doing in our life and encourage others in their faith through it and talk to those who don't know Jesus, who have no faith. But as they hear about how God's at work in our life, they begin to think about how, how God's at work in the world. They, they begin to wonder about whether God could work in their life in the same way he's working in our lives. And so we become the storytellers of faith. Not just by quoting a Bible verse or reading the Bible to someone. Like that's, that's good. It's not bad. But we become the storytellers of faith because God begins to write the story of the gospel into our lives, into our very lives. So we start to have unexpected things happen in our life that will then produce um, pretty cool expected results, funny enough. Like, like Jesus sets this model up because he knows it's going to work. This is the model he sets up with the early church. Before he leaves in Acts 1, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and we'll talk more about the Holy Spirit in, in, a, in a couple weeks, in a, in a month or so, as we get closer to, to Pentecost, the day where we celebrate the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you because he's going to give you power God's Spirit is going to give you power so that you can be my witnesses, which, which means you're going to be the ones telling the story and living it out in front of the world so that you can be my witnesses to the entire world, to those right around you, to those a little farther away, and to the very ends of the earth. And, and so Jesus sets this model up from day one because he knows that's what's going to produce the fruit. The fruit of the kingdom of God and the people hearing the gospel and being able to respond to it will come through the testimony of our lives and our words of what God has been at work doing in our lives. And so this story, what is traditionally called the Emmaus Road, this story of the Emmaus Road and these two followers and their unexpected interaction with the risen Lord should encourage us and challenge us to begin to tell our stories of how God has shown up in our life in unexpected ways 
and yet has done what he said he would do. He showed up so that he could show us his love, so that he could save us from our sins, so that he could make us into the people he always designed us to be as our creator. That's the story of the gospel, and that ends up becoming the story of our lives. And so I'd encourage you that this week, as we um, continue this series into next week, I encourage you that you would begin to think of ways of how you, can, how you can tell your story. If you want to join in on the social media, the kind of My Jesus Story thing, I, I encourage you to do it. I put an example up online on my profile. I can repost it if I need to. Um, but I can give you the tips if you want them personally of just how to do that. But just finding a way to tell your story in a short way, even if you don't video it, even if you just do audio or you just write it out, finding a way to get your story out so that others can hear it, there'll be this amazing thing that happens through that as people get to hear your story and how God's been at work in your life. And, it, and, and too many times we get caught up again in the big expressions of that. You don't have to have some sort of, I was you know, a drug addict and God saved me from a drug addiction. That, that can be someone's testimony and it's powerful, but that's not gonna be everyone's testimony and it's not supposed to be everyone's testimony because each of us are different, because each of us have our own stories others are going to connect to us in a way that they may not connect to someone else who has a different story from us. So God does this amazing thing of weaving together a people who end up connecting because we don't have the same story, but we have the same Savior, right? And so my story of salvation may not be the same as someone else. I may have not needed the same saving as that person, and they may not have needed the same kind of saving that I needed, but we both needed saving, and we both found a Savior. And that Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, rescued us from our sin and now has given us life in a way that we never had before. And so we're able to share our stories, and someone, someone's going to connect with that story. Someone's going to connect with your story in a way that they don't connect with my story. And so I encourage you and I challenge you this week, find a way to share your story. If you want to use the platform or social media, I encourage you to. You might as well use the technology that we've created. And so if you want to do that, I encourage you to do that. If you want to just find ways to share it to individuals in your life, do it. Make an intentionality about it. Don't just think, oh, I'll get around to it. No, make it intentional. Say, hey, God's put this person on my heart. I'm going to ask them if they want to go get lunch this week or next week. I'm going to go get coffee with them. And, I'm going to, and we're not going to just shoot the breeze. We're not just going to talk about life in general. I'm going to make sure that I share this part of my story with them because they need to hear it. Too many times in our culture today, we get caught up just talking about the things of life and we don't talk about life. And so be intentional during this series especially. Just be thinking about ways that you can be intentional about sharing your story about what God has been at work doing in your life with those around you. Because you'll be amazed at the fruit that it produces. Right? You'll be amazed at the questions people will have or the ways they'll connect with you or how they might, they might themselves come to faith in Jesus Christ because of the faith you display in them.